Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of this here program at the bottom of the hour, Congressman Ted Budd of North Carolina is going to be joining me by phone. Right now, probably the biggest story of the day is uh, the markets are not doing well. The Dow down over 1,000 points, the NASDAQ down over 667 points, uh, S&P 500 down 150 points right now, NASDAQ composite down 482 points. It's just not a good day. Comes after the Federal Reserve raised um, a half a percentage point interest rates, so 50 basis points, they would say. Uh, other outlooks, inflation still not doing well. Private um, markets, uh, CNBC reporting that the private sector data suggests inflation has not peaked, but it's still going up. There's just a lot of worry, a lot of turmoil. Someone who knows how to navigate these situations better than most is my friend Clark Howard, who's joining me by phone. Clark, thank you so much for the spur of the moment jumping on here with me. I'm happy to do it. And first thing, take a deep breath. It's all going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is. And we're, we're kind of in this weird situation we haven't seen in a while with, I mean, it's been 40-year high inflation. People forget how to navigate that, uh, how to think about it. And then market instability right now with people worried about their 401ks. So it, it will be okay. But in the meantime, with all the ups and downs, what, what would you tell people they need to be thinking about? Well, first, let's set some frame of reference. So if you go back two years ago, right when, uh, when we were dealing with the COVID shutdowns and fear of a worldwide depression, central banks around the world coordinated throwing huge amounts of money into the economies of every developed country. And we in the United States, Federal Reserve, uh, essentially printed $9 trillion, and that plus depressing interest rates, and then the Congress, both in 20 and 21, throwing so much money in the economy, that was where the inflation came from principally. I mean, we've got the supply chain disruptions, but more recently we've got Ukraine, so we know where this came from, and so what the Federal Reserve is doing now is reversing a lot of what happened in response to the launch of COVID two years ago. So the stock market was on this sugar high with all this money being thrown into the economy. The housing market has been on a sugar high. Now suddenly they're taking away the sugar, the candy, the syrup, you name it. Everything that has given an artificial boost to the economy way past when it needed it. And now people are like, so what's next? What's going to happen next? And what is happening is the stock market is going to have to get back to more true values. And the housing market is not going to collapse like 15 years ago, but it's definitely going to I stall out maybe too strong a word, but the housing market is going to be more sluggish over the next several years. 
Well, you know, I'm glad you brought the the housing market up. I saw a story on CNBC the other day that uh, the maximum amount most Americans can qualify for a mortgage now is about $480,000, and the median sales price for a house now is about $580,000. So price, people can't get a mortgage for the homes right now. That does suggest um, people's incomes aren't going to come up remarkably high soon, but housing prices are going to probably have to start trending downward a little bit right now. In addition to having the housing shortage we have, it just seems like that will cause, I guess, some instability for people and some people who've been selling. You know, I, by the way, which reminds me, Christy and I got a, a random call a couple of weeks ago from someone wanting to make a cash offer on our house for probably $200,000 more than our house is even worth, in my opinion. And then were you going to go move to a state park and live in a tent? I mean, exactly. that's the problem. I mean, you <laughs> yeah. know, we we have way too many dollars chasing too few assets. And gosh, anybody who ever didn't fall asleep in economics class knows exactly what I'm talking about. We've just inflated the economy with just way too many dollars, yen, euros, Swiss francs. You name it. And so now we're dealing with indigestion. Did they do the right thing two years ago? Yes. I mean, think back. I mean, Eric, think back to the fears that were in the United States and the entire world when COVID really came on strong in March of 20. And we had 100 million people in the United States who were suddenly uh, pretty much in suspended animation, uh, many on unemployment. And so we did the right thing. We just did too much of it and did it for too long. And now we've got to deal with the after effects. And it's going to get not as messy as people think. And you know why? It's crazy why. Because the economy is so intensely strong right now that the likelihood is very strong that all these moves by the Federal Reserve and Congress not being as willing to uh, spend money as in 20 and 21 is that the economy will slow. We could even have a shallow recession, but it's not going to be a calamity like we had after the banking scandals and the Great Recession. It's 13 after the hour. I'm talking with my friend Clark Howard here about the economic situation. Clark, preparing for a recession, I mean, we we did have the one in, in 2008, 2009. Uh, this one, the, the, I guess Bank of America said, like you said, it would probably be shallow. Um, I've got a kid who's going to be heading off to college in a couple of years. I can't believe I've gotten that old Clark. (laughs) (laughs) We're all getting there, aren't we? But, you know, trying to put money in like uh, the savings accounts for, for college and and education funds, interest has not been great. And now suddenly with the federal reserve raising interest rates, it it does seem like there could be, uh, even though there may be some short-term pain, a little more flexibility in the economy and the ability to earn some money in savings accounts by this happening. Yeah. And I mean, look at the benefit people have had from what's going on with the series I savings bonds. You can pop 10 grand into up to that and earn at least temporarily over 9% interest. I mean, there are going to be more and more opportunities for savers. 
everywhere except at the banks. The banks have gotten so used to paying essentially no interest to people on their money, and they are going to be very reluctant to offer anything that's like a decent savings rate. So people are looking to get these better savings rates are going to have to buy um, things like uh, Series I savings bonds or buy even you can buy U.S. Treasuries directly, even as like a regular person. You don't have to be Warren Buffett to buy those. You need just, um, you know, 100 bucks you can get into that. Uh, It's complicated at treasurydirect.gov, but you can do it. You can put money in an online bank. And there's a lot of things you can do. Yeah, yeah, you know, I tried uh, to get in to buy the I-Series uh, bonds myself, and it was the most convoluted process. And they now require you to download a form, print it, and mail it back, and I couldn't download the form. <laughs> okay, so I've got a step-by-step how to do it at Clark.com. Okay. And I promise, it's not uh, the Series I-Savings bonds. That part's not hard. It's when you start buying uh, U.S. Treasuries in the mm-hmm. Treasury Direct program, that's the one that you scratch your head and you're like, now, how does this work? How do I do this? <laughs> but you will get directly the interest rates that the Federal Reserve is raising. You'll get a lot more money on the equivalent from the Treasury of a one-year CD. You'll be able to buy uh, the equivalent of a two-year CD or three-year CD and get really great rates versus what you can get on a CD or savings account at a bank. And then it's a direct obligation of the federal government. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, look, that <laughs> I will go navigate. So Clark.com, I can find out how to navigate that one because I've always been interested in doing it in because there aren't so many commissions. I know a lot of brokers try to steer people away from a lot of those things. Um, last question for you before I get out here. And first, thanks again for doing the spur of the moment. Sure. Um, we're going to see, I'm sure, more market instability over the next few weeks. And there's going to be wild claims and hysteria out there, as there always is, from people <laughs> trying to get particularly people close to retirement to, to yeah. invest in certain ways. Um, right. What do you tell people to avoid the panic as this sets in? most important thing is the fundamentals of the U.S. economy are good. And if you have, let's say somebody approaching retirement and retirement, if you have reserves of three years, you can pay for the next three years, what you get from Social Security or what you have from part-time work or whatever it is, then you can just forget what's going on with the drama and trauma of the market now because markets go through down cycles. The only person who really needs to freak out is somebody who's 100% invested and needs the money right now to live on. If you if you're not in that position, you're fine. Well, and I mean if you are and and you, you have a kid, I mean there's they get a high price on the black market these days. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. Oh, so there are some days where I think, you know, I mean, my kids, they're, they're costing me a lot. <laughs> I'm going to get canceled now. <laughs> Listen, it's always what I, I hate. I don't get to see you at the office uh, these days. I was actually up there the last couple of days and I, I miss seeing you. And it's always good to hear from you. It's good to talk to you and have a great day and, and tell everybody just to relax. We're going to be okay. 
I will do that. Thank you very much. Clark Howard uh, joining me by phone. Uh, he's down in Jacksonville, Florida. My gosh, I, th- that is he's just the nicest person on planet Earth and was so generous with his time today for me uh, to be able to get him on to do this. And, and you know, he is right. Uh, the markets go down, the markets go up. Plan for the long term. The closer you get to retirement, as my buddy David Nicholas has pointed out as well, plan for retirement. The closer you get, you got to make alterations in your uh, portfolio to make sure the market turmoil isn't going to cause you turmoil at when you get to retirement. But we do have a good economy. We're probably going to get a recession, though. Here's the ultimate problem, though, on the political side of this is that people don't feel it right now. And I don't want to drag Clark into the politics of it, but the politics of it are working against the Democrats right now because people don't feel like they're secure. They don't feel like the economy is doing well because the bottom line numbers of the economy are good. And objectively, the Biden administration should be able to credit be, get credit for that. But when your take-home pay due to inflation is now reduced and prices are so high, people don't feel like they're getting the benefit from the roaring economy. And then when the stock market goes down, people want to look to someone to blame. Then presidents like to get the credit when the economy's good. So people blame them when the economy's not. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Congressman Ted Budd is going to join me at the bottom of the hour. Uh, some Republicans in Louisiana have advanced legislation that would classify abortion as a homicide and allow prosecutors to charge the uh, women who have abortions with murder. Um, it's not going to pass. A bad timing of these guys to do this, whether you support the idea or not, it, it distracts and allows the, the left to build hysteria. This isn't going to pass. They don't have the votes to pass it. But the media, I guarantee you, is going to just make hay out of this as a way to uh, blast pro-lifers and, and blast the Supreme Court, what it's doing, uh, picking the, the, the fringe scenarios and ignoring the the reality. My goodness, by the way, uh, the White House is scrambling on this issue. And, you know, just as an aside here, this is this is actually probably the most important issue. The left in the United States has become so invested in the preservation of Roe versus Wade. So much of the political capital of the left has been spent on the issue at a national level. Uh, the right over time built inroads into state legislatures and found good candidates and vetted those candidates to run them for Congress, run them for the Senate, find lawyers, train lawyers in a constitutional conservative philosophy, advance them into the judiciary, elevate them to the Supreme Court, elevate Republican candidates for office to the federal level and then to the presidency. Uh, the right has been concentrating at the states for a very long while, while the, the Democrats and the left for so long have focused on Washington, D.C., and it has transcended now beyond uh, the abortion issue to every pervasive major issue of the left is an issue in which they focus on Washington, D.C. as the be-all, end-all. They focus on regulators. They focus on outside agencies. They focus on the Justice Department. They focus on the Health and Human Services. They focus on the presidency and the Congress while the right has been laying groundwork uh, for the conservative cause across the country. And as a result, now that the right controls the Supreme Court, when arguably 6-3, definitely 5-4 conservative majority, the left has nowhere else to go. 
because they don't have a farm team, because they focused all of their energies on Washington and ignored the states. Meanwhile, the right over time, the left has kind of ignored it. It's not just abortion. The right has been playing up the 10th Amendment. The 10th Amendment says that power is not explicitly given to Congress or reserved for the states. And we've built an entire jurisprudence on that issue separate from the abortion issue. And it has elevated the powers of the states to arguably where they're supposed to be. And the result of this is that the left is now somewhat helpless. The White House is scrambling now to try to mitigate the damage of Roe v. Wade going away. And they're coming up empty. That They don't have the power to do it. Uh, the Democrats are going to do show votes on Roe versus Wade to show that Democrats are with the left on this issue, but in so doing, they're alienating themselves from a majority of Americans who are okay with regulations. This is the fundamental issue that the Democrats have as a problem. They don't have a deep bench and they do not have groundwork in a lot of swing states. They, they secured California and New York and Illinois, large states with, within the Electoral College, but they've lost Florida. They're not going to get Texas. They're really not going to get Georgia. The Democrats think this will help Stacey Abrams. I actually don't think it will. Remember, after the Republicans passed the fetal heartbeat ban in Georgia, Republican state legislators got more votes than Democratic state legislators in the state of Georgia. The state House and the state Senate in Georgia, Republicans got more votes than than the Democrats. People forget these things and they matter. The ground game and the state level game has mattered tremendously and Democrats dropped the ball on that on a host of policies. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide. And, you know, we've got a, a fine station uh, in North Carolina with a lot of North Carolina. You know, I'm, I'm actually surprised by the number of listeners we have in North Carolina between uh, the Georgia stations that cut into North Carolina and then our affiliate in North Carolina, WEEV up in Southern Pines, got a, a large listing area up there. And I happen to have on uh, with me now, the next senator from the state of North Carolina, uh, current congressman Ted Budd, the probably one of the greatest conservatives in Congress, not named Chip Roy, and arguably so. <laughs> congressman, how are you? Eric, I'm doing even better after that intro. Thank you. It's great to speak with you. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, I want to talk about your race, but they're actually, uh, I know you're on financial services, uh, and one of the big uh, issues right now in, in investment is is all the the left trying to force social justice investing on companies and stuff. And, and, but, but before I get to any of that, though, I want to talk about your campaign. You have managed to unite a, a vast array of conservatives in North Carolina. You have President Trump's endorsement, even in the, the, the split out there between people who love the president and people who don't. Uh, you, you have built this coalition in North Carolina. And I just wanted to ask you about that. I, I mean, when is the primary and, and how do you see things shaping up from here on out to it? Yeah, again, thanks for having me, Eric. So the primary is 12 days away. It's on May 17th. Uh, you know, I'm seeing polling showing us in a double-digit lead. Uh, recent polling from the NC Chamber showed me at 24 points ahead. Look, I'm going to run like I'm 5, 10 points behind. This is the NASCAR state. The way you lose something is you let off the gas in the corner, and I'm not going to do that. We're going to run hard for the next 12 days. And speaking of, you know, you so much in Georgia that you do and so many of your listeners down there, I was in very far western North Carolina, and a lot of the news that they get, you know, they're closer 
to Atlanta than they actually are to Raleigh, their, our state capital. So they, uh, they appreciate hearing from you all out there in uh, the mountains of North Carolina. Now I'm down in the eastern part of the state meeting folks here, too. And uh, by the end of this week, by the end of tomorrow, we will have been in all 100 counties in North Carolina. Gosh, and you know, I always forget. I, I I shouldn't. I mean, I intuitively, you know, North Carolina stretches from the Atlantic into the mountains. There's so much of a diverse array, the Piedmont area, and then you've got just this vast array of uh, different interest groups there. Uh, you got the urban dwellers. You got the college towns. Uh, and then you've got uh, the folks up in, in Appalachia who oftentimes I think Congress tends to overlook the people in Appalachia more than they should. Um, it's it, just the constituencies there, but everybody really fundamentally conservative and, of course, some of the best barbecue on the planet. I'm having to answer the barbecue questions because we have two styles. We have tomato-based and vinegar-based, east and west, and they ask me now which one that I like the best, so my answer has to be yes. <laughs> and uh, I, love them. I love them both. I don't want to be political when it comes to barbecue, but I do love them as long as they know what they're doing. And uh, they do it here in North Carolina. I love yeah, both I, I, You them. know, it, my, my wife, it, it's fighting words for her, anything other than uh, vinegar barbecue. I, listen, I'm from Louisiana. I mean, we, we pretty much eat anything. And uh, to come here and have my wife, the hill for her to die on is vinegar-based sauce. She, this is why she likes to go to Western North Carolina. She she won't go to Eastern North Carolina. <laughs> You know, the twenty the 2020 Senate race in North Carolina was lost. Many people think it was lost due to a scandal, but I think it was almost lost as much from the Democrats because of uh, thinking that barbecue is served on a brioche bun and cooked on a Weber grill. And it is not, <laughs> <Yeah>. my friends. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, now, nuts and bolts on the campaign. Uh, I, I've, I've interviewed candidates around the country. I'm actually surprised by this, and I don't want to throw a curveball for you, but I've interviewed Senate candidates around the country, and the thing that keeps coming up, the number one issue, and I'm asking them all to try to what is the issue in your state for your state, and everybody says the border and fentanyl. I mean, it, it has come up unanimously um, from candidates around the country. And I know the border is a big national issue, but everybody says it comes up with voters, the fentanyl crisis and, and overdoses as it relates to people trafficking across the border. I don't know that the Democrats realize how big an issue it actually is because only Fox tends to cover it. You know, the National Border Patrol Council has endorsed me. I was down there at the border with their agents uh, for the Customs and Border Patrol agents just a few months ago. Uh, and look, they there's a three-strand barbed wire fence that wouldn't keep cows in, and that's what separates the cartels from us. They had to go on duty and arrest some cartel members right then and there. And they said the sad thing is these guys are going to be back on the street, or in this case in the desert, in just a few hours or days. They said, we need to finish the wall, and there was steel laying, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of steel just laying there for miles. But they said, what we need is to finish this wall, but we really just need administration that has our back. We need policy. We can fix these problems with policy. And now you're having Democrats that are going, no, no, Joe Biden, please don't end this Title 42 authority, because we realize that's going to create an even worse surge than we have right now. And Eric, in the eastern part of the state uh, where I am right now, a sheriff told me not too long ago, he said every single county in North Carolina, and you probably feel the same way in Georgia, but every single county in North Carolina is now a border county because of Joe Biden's policies and what he's done at the border. 
you know, when they cross the border, when a cartel comes across 72 hours away or less, they can be anywhere in our country uh, with those drugs. And we're just seeing the major loss of life between those 18 and 45 years old. So leading cause of death uh, is opioid related drugs, including synthetic opioids and fentanyl. Gosh, I, I, I really, and I know I shouldn't be, but just to hear whether whether someone's in, in Minnesota or Ohio or North Carolina or here in Georgia, that, that issue is such a big issue. And, you know, I, I do think, I think Roy Texera, the, the Democratic pollster, said there's the Fox News fallacy that the Democrats are under, that if it appears on Fox, it's not a real issue. And even the cultural issues that appear on Fox, the Democrats dismiss. One of those being this, what do they call it, ESG investing or whatever. And I know you're on the Financial Services Committee, so I, I was kind of looking forward to talking to you about this because I've seen Elon Musk now in in the role of buying Twitter. He is uh, complaining about companies making bad investments to placate the left. And it really does seem like Democratic interest groups are trying to control corporations through their investing, whether it's good for the shareholders or not, just as a way to stick it to our side. Yeah, when you think about it, I mean, Musk makes a great point. The purpose of a corporation is to increase shareholder value. That is, I mean, I was trained under the Milton Friedman School of Philosophy when it comes to economics and the purpose of a corporation. But now they're trying to change this stakeholder approach. And, and when you try to be a better neighbor, I mean, you're going to end up increasing shareholder value. But what these people are doing through this ESG, ESG movement, which is environment, social, and government governance, is is forcing these companies to be uh, or shaming them into being uh, bad investors on, for the sake of the environment, and not even good environmental policies, but greening uh, their policies um, or jamming some sort of social agenda through there or forcing this sort of governance in there, which supports a leftist progressive agenda. And they're, they're really taking their eye off the ball of just being great companies. Uh, if we want somebody to make a car, make a good, safe, efficient car, but don't jam this policy through them that makes them support an agenda that maybe American, Americans or shareholders don't even care about. So when I sit on the Financial Services Committee, I look behind me, Eric, and I see the chairwoman, Maxine Waters. And then I look to my left and I see three out of four of the squad. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that is what the, that is what is trying to control your listeners and all Americans banking. It, it sounds out. more like you're sitting in a portal to hell, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not Cerberus guarding the gates of hell here, but I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm there to defend the North Carolinians, especially those in the 13th district. Now I want to do it on the Senate side because we need somebody that has the capacity and willingness to stand up and fight against this radical leftist agenda which would seek to destroy our country now let me let me jump back to the campaign because I, I actually know both both of your opponents and, and I, I like them both uh, I, I think you're probably the most conservative I mean I, I don't think it, it's a matter of thinking it is your record speaks for it itself you've got President Trump's support uh, you got 14 days left what do people who aren't in North Carolina what can they do to help Ted Budd get to the US Senate because you're gonna I mean the Democrats are playing for keeps clearly this year knowing if they if they can't take your seat now it's it's not going to come to a anytime soon. So what do we do to help you? Well, the Democrats have consolidated for months around uh, my opponent, Sherry Beasley. Uh, but now it's time for us Republicans to consolidate around me. And uh, l let's look at the numbers. Let's get together. If I was in their shoes, I'd be saying, hey, time to switch my you know, mine off and years on and let's help you. 
So I would love to have my opponents and their supporters support so we can go win this in the fall. Uh, if your listeners want to get on my website, tedbud.com, uh, and donate to my campaign so we can fuel this thing through the end and all the way into November and help keep North Carolina red. And then that gives us a fighting chance to win the Senate in these other seats and flip Arizona and flip Georgia where you are and keep Pennsylvania and keep Wisconsin, these tough seats. We can gain traction, but we can't go backwards in the seats that, that we currently hold. So if they, I bet a lot of your listeners, some are in North Carolina. I think you've got a station in Southern Pines, Moore County, mm-hmm. great red area. I would ask for your support there and tell others, because people in Georgia, people in Moore County, North Carolina, they know others all around the state. So get the word out uh, that I stand for them and North Carolina values. Well, look, I I appreciate you. I, I really do, genuinely. And, and it, it, it's been a while since I've seen you in person. I, I appreciate you so very much. And your hard-fought stands in Washington. And I know every time you vote these days, particularly when you're on a side that even a lot of Republicans don't take, that just the forces come after you, and they don't even want to care about the principle that you've staked out. They just want to vilify you. And uh, I just, a Second Amendment rights supporter, a gun store owner, just your entire biography resonates with me. It really does. And your faith, especially. So thank you for what you're doing. Good luck to you in North Carolina. And please, if I can ever be of any help, please reach out. Well, God bless. Thank you so much. And prayers from your listeners. And, uh, you know, I don't want to skip that part. I think, uh, you know, I was reading a quote from Spurgeon earlier today that one of the greatest gifts you can give a man is to pray for him. So if you're inclined to do that, I'll take that as well. Absolutely. Congressman, always good to hear from you. Take care. Thank you, Eric. Congressman Ted Budd um, in North Carolina. He's really just, guys, salt of the earth. Absolutely salt of the earth. Uh, genuinely like him. And he is going to be the next senator for North Carolina. Now, uh, we got to get to a commercial break. Before we do, I got to tell you guys, one of the, the companies that's actually helping guys like Ted Budd get elected is Patriot Mobile. Uh, Patriot Mobile is a um, cell phone company, and they're explicitly designed to be a conservative Christian cell phone company. They Now, what does it mean to be a conservative Christian cell phone company? Well, they take a portion of their profits, and they deliver those profits to the conservative movement. They help pro-lifers. They help the Second Amendment groups. You know, uh, Congressman Butt owns a gun store in North Carolina, has been constantly vilified for the left for it, uh, and Patriot Mobile supports the Second Amendment, supports the Second Amendment organizations out there advancing the cause, the pro-life movement. Uh, they're such good people, and they've got great service. They use the same cell towers everybody else does. But they need you as a customer to be able to magnify and amplify what they can do for the cause. You get free activation with my name. You go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can also call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them that I sent you to get that free activation and then talk to them about great discounts. They give discounts if you're a teacher, a veteran, first responder, and an RA member. So many discounts. They want you as a customer. They share your values. They're good people. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I am going to go to the phones real quick. And and Mike has been sitting there waiting patiently as I got through the interviews. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, fine, Eric. Uh, enjoying your program. Uh, with reference to the abortion issue and the political machinations that are going on to for the conservatives to stop the abortion thing, don't you think that one of the root causes for that just may well be the fact that for the last few years, very vivid, graphic, hideous photographs 
of abortions, the sonograms of little babies with uh, the hideous procedures performed on them, is gradually changing the opinion of the populace? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, I The pro-life movement has, um, from the Kermit Gosnell story to uh, Barack Obama forcing, uh, trying to sue the Little Sisters of the Poor, trying to force them into performing abortions. Uh, really, the the left is, has tried to use the media as damage control on this issue, and it's turned out poorly for them, frankly. And the right has been able to capitalize on this stuff. Now, listen, I, I have to admit, acknowledge, and state for the record I am deeply opposed to the protesters, the pro-life protesters who stand on the side of the road with the graphic pictures. They came through my town several years ago and they were standing out in front of a church protesting at a major intersection and they had the pictures of ripped apart children. And my children were in the car with me. And I was furious that my children had to be subjected to those images. And they're such true believers, they were offended that I was offended. You should have to explain it. I will explain it to my kids, but I don't want to have to introduce those images into my children's minds. I can talk to them. And I was so furious. It is one of the very few moments in my life where I've seriously rethought, why do I support a movement that is so callous in the graphic nature of what it will confront with my children. I mean, these are people who don't want my children introduced into transgenderism because they don't want their indoctrination, and yet they're going to stand there and show my kids graphic signs. And look, I'm I, I'm in the cause. I don't think we have to do that. Just tell the stories. Tell about Kermit Gosnell giving women pills to force them to give birth while seated on the toilet so the baby comes out and drowns. Give them the stories of Barack Obama forcing nuns to pay for abortions. It has persuaded people. The science has persuaded people. More and more of us know people with premature babies who survived. The science has helped persuade people. It is not a coincidence uh, that uh, 70% of women in this country support bans on abortion after 15 weeks. And 52, I think it was 52 or 53% of women support restrictions beginning after six weeks, the fetal heartbeat ban. You know, the, the Democrats really thought they could win in Georgia in 2020 because of the fetal heartbeat ban. And actually the author of the legislation who lives in the swingiest district in the state, won re-election. The national left came after him and he won re-election. Um, they they really are out to lunch on the issue because the left and the media are in such a bubble on the issue. It's remarkable. Um, it, I want to go back real quick to the the um, um, environmental, social, and governance is stuff that I was talking to Congressman Butt about. Elon Musk, uh, Mark Andreessen, the venture capitalist, Kathy Wood, the the investment manager, they've all come out very very critical of this stuff, and they should. Uh, Harvard University. It's a newspaper has now come out uh, with the BDS stuff to to boycott and divest uh, from Israel. It's deeply anti-Semitic. And we're seeing more and more of this on the left. They are essentially co-opting businesses and forcing those businesses 
to make investments that are not in the interest of the shareholders, but are in, in the interest of the left. What is very notable in all of this is how quiet these corporations have been over the Supreme Court's uh, draft leak of the Dobbs decision. Now, there are a lot of people who say, well, Florida bullied him into silence. I don't think that's it. When Georgia passed the fetal heartbeat ban, Coca-Cola, Delta, Home Depot, uh, Invesco, uh, Equifax, all of these are major brands. Home Depot, UPS, Aflac, Southern Company, uh, they're all headquartered in Georgia, and they were very quiet. They didn't say anything. Companies understand the nation is evenly split on this issue, and they're not going to take a stand. And that's something the left worries about. They don't like that so many Americans are pro-life and corporations won't stand up and bully pro-lifers on this. And that's another advantage that the right has on this.